inside the parliament protest. As they say, the more the... Patience runs out for Dr Sharma. I just want to say, Mr Speaker, I hope... I stand, yes sir. Sir. And bye-bye, bad boy. Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. I'm Benedict Collins. And I'm Mikey Sherman. Alrighty, let's get into it. Highlights of the week, Mikey. Yes, the peak for me uh, is yet to come, my friends. And this is what we like to call the shark pit, a.k.a. the black and white tiles for anyone who has visited uh, Parliament. That is essentially the old stomping ground where we would go hunting as the media uh, of the press gallery at Parliament. So that's usually when MPs are making their way into the House for the daily sort of question and um, debate session. They would come across the black and white tiles where the media would ask them a bunch of questions. Now, because of COVID-19, we've been relegated into the Grand Hall, which is a much bigger sort of space. And so it has less of a kind of rough and tumble feel about it. And it's a lot harder to kind of sniff and chase the blood of the shark pit, uh, if you like, which we like to call the black and white tiles. Of course, I'm, I'm, I'm I'm theatrical in my description of this purely for podcast reasons. Of course we don't go out baiting for blood every day on the black and white tiles. But anyway... The point is, is that the black and white tiles are on their way back. We've been having discussions with the new Speaker of Parliament, Adrian Rudafir. He is keen for us to move back onto the tiles, which is just to the great delight and joy of the press gallery. So watch this space. It's about to get a whole lot cosier and awkward for our, our politicians. Look, and, and, and ministers are looking forward to it too. They, they want to be back on those black and white tiles as well because at the moment we're, we're sort of it's, – it's really stale the way it's kind of set up. Um, it's a lot harder to sort of interview a whole bunch of um, politicians. They can't wait to get back into that sort of more rough-and-tumble environment as well now that um, Trevor yeah, Mallard I, is on I, his way out. I am really surprised that they're quite keen to move back there because I would, I would find it quite intimidating because it is such a sort of a, a much closer sort of quarters when it comes to those interviews. So, yeah, I'm surprised that the politicians are looking forward to it. But, hey, let's rumble. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think from their perspective... Um, you don't end up getting stuck in one place for 10 minutes. You, you kind of, it, it, it's a lot speedier. Things That's are a lot right. quicker when you come through on those black and white tiles. So that will be good for us. Now, I'm interested in a little um, a scandal that uh, developed overseas um, over the last few weeks. Santa Marin, um, uh, forgive my pronunciation there, the um, F- Finnish leader. She's in a, all sorts of uh, scandals, or um, some people think not a scandal at all, uh, getting into trouble for dancing um uh, late at night, being accused of taking um, uh, drugs and having to take drug tests and, and, and passing them with flying colours. Um, yeah, really interesting little set of scandals. Of course, she's the leader who um, last year, which I thought was brilliant, went um, nightclubbing and forgot to take her government phone with her. And she was sent a text that she was actually a close contact and uh, should have been isolating because she'd been in contact, well, I think, with one of her ministers who um, had tested positive for COVID. But she didn't get it until... Uh, the, the early morning, and I think she'd been in, out clubbing until 4.30. So, yeah, and then, then her friends taking sort of half-nude photos as well at, 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 at a residence. A fascinating little... Some, someone on Twitter noted that they were highly disappointed that our Prime Minister, Jacinda Ardern, has never once held a party uh, or any drinks at Premier House, uh, especially where, um, you know, any of us have been invited at least. So, uh, yeah, step know. it up, Prime Minister. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, any lowlights? 
Um, yes, uh, a bit of sad news uh, yesterday uh, across the country with um, the death of a New Zealand soldier, 30-year-old Dominic Abelin, uh, of course, who had gone to Ukraine to help fight in the war against Russia there. Um, and what's interesting about it is just the political manoeuvring that our sort of ministers are having to make um, because, of course, we're not allowed, you know, we're not um, sending our own sort of defence force presence over to Ukraine to fight in that war, given the political implications with Russia. And so there's having to be some quite delicate words around, um, you know, when explaining how um, the soldier came to be over there and that the New Zealand Defence Force had no sort of idea and that he hadn't sought permission to be there um, because, of course, that would spark off sort of diplomatic issues um, with Russia and New Zealand. So, um, yeah, a bit of, bit of sad news for uh, the whānau there. Um, and interesting too because, of course, you know, he'd been in the Defence Force for 10 years and had never been able to fight for his country and sort of, you know, um, no doubt that would have you know, added to his kind of desire to get over there That's onto right, the right. front I, lines. Yeah, I think it's just a completely logical kind of decision for for someone. You know, you, you spend your whole career, you know, training to fight, and you and you, you know, you've spent the last few years probably manning an MIQ facility, pretty tedious stuff. Um, you know, choosing to take leave without pay and, and going over there. Um, you know, to experience battle, but yeah. It, I wonder, I wonder whether it raises questions about the kind of feeling within the Defence Force and soldiers in particular, you know, who sign up them, their lives to kind of serve for country and for what they believe in, to kind of be watching this war that everyone has condemned and everyone has gone behind Ukraine, including New Zealand with a bunch of sanctions and, and you know, um, aid and, and so on and so forth, but haven't really taken that, that final step to providing some personnel on the ground. And I wonder how our soldiers feel about that. And I wonder if our Defence Force will start taking a few stronger steps around um, finding out where their soldiers are going when they're taking um, leave now, because it sounds like there are multiple um, Defence Force Especially when it creates there. diplomatic issues for ministers in our government. Yeah. Anyway, shall we um, uh, uh, get into some of the big stories that happened at Parliament this week? Um there was another big um, uh, protest with Brian Tamaki um, and his um, uh, team coming back down to Wellington. Not quite as big as we've seen in the past, but Mikey, you were, you were out there in the in the thick of it. What was your take on it? Yeah, it was quite interesting to be out there actually because um, I, you and I both had COVID during the um, sort of the big gnarly final day of the, um, the occupation mm. and the riot at Parliament back in March. So we weren't able to kind of be there to experience what that was like, and this was certainly a much sort of um, smallest on a much smaller scale and in very much a calm sort of affair. Um, but it was still interesting to be out there amongst the crowd. There was obviously a little bit of um, resentment still towards the media. We had at least one person kind of um, mouthing off about sort of you know, oh, you won't be telling these real stories, will you? And sort of um, th those sorts of remarks. But all in all. It it was a pretty um, well-behaved crowd, you'd have to say. Um, and the theatrics was, were rather interesting in terms of the trial that they held for the government. They had a judge's bench set up with the... Um, 
the scales of justice there and they had some witnesses that they called, um, which were actually quite interesting stories. Like, for example, they had one mother um, talk about the impact that lockdown had on her family and how it created a lot of um, tensions with her children because she was so scared of, like, uh, the virus that she kept them home from school and then they were fighting with her to go to school and um, and then we had another person who spoke about losing his 14 month old son um, during last year and you know not being able to hold a tangihanga um, and have you know vaccinated family members attend because of the restrictions at the time so it was just interesting to kind of, you know, we hear a lot and most of what we hear is the criticism towards these kind of what are labelled crazies and um, that, but it was it was interesting for me to kind of hear the kind of voice of people who are, you know, kind of just giving their experience um, and, you know, it's not, it wasn't necessarily about sort of vaccines and stuff. It was yeah. more the human experience that they'd gone through, which I think warrants some reflection. I think, I think particularly a lot of people are too quick to kind of write off these kinds of groups as crazies or if they're following Brian Tamaki, then they're not legitimate and they don't get a voice and, and that sort of thing. I think we're too quick to judge um, in a lot of these cases. So I think it was quite interesting just to be amongst the crowd. Yeah, they um, seem to be a lot better managed from the um, uh, by authorities this time. They, um, uh, you know, last time when the pro- when the convoys came, there were there were almost no police whatsoever, even at Parliament, which allowed them to sort of park up all around all around um, the Parliament and sort of create those big problems. Even probably more so than the actual the protest has been on the lawn at, lawn itself. This time, things were you know they they shut off streets all around um, Wellington. They put in blocks to stop people getting their cars in there. And, and also thought just from the with, with the protesters, a sort of a lot of the animosity I thought had, had kind of died down. And remember, that during the time of the last protest, you know, there, there were mandates in place, there were real restrictions on pe- where people who were not vaccinated could, could, and couldn't go. And that's all kind of gone now. So it felt like this protest was a bit more like unhappiness with the government rather than that really strong anti-vax, anti-mandate kind of um, movement movement that we saw at the last time. But also um, a, new, a new political party was kind of uh, launched out there as well, yeah? Yeah, that's right. So um, Brian Tamaki sort of announcing that the party of his, that his wife is the leader of Hannah, which is Vision NZ, which recently just polled 1% in our One News Cantar public poll, that they would be joining up with the likes of the New Nation Party um, and also uh, Sue Gray's Outdoors and Freedom Party. Um, so uh, uh, he announces this new umbrella party and that they've all decided to come together to try to tackle that 5% party threshold to get into Parliament only a few hours later, though, Sue Gray is like, hey, hey, Brian Tamaki's jumped the gun and, and you know, we're still considering things or we're not too sure. And it, and it just kind of shows, like, the volatility of, you know, these smaller parties joining together just cannot get it together. And who's going to lead you, right, when, when you're all trying to lead your own separate movements? It's, and, quite, and, it's quite a lot to give up. And I think that the new Conservatives probably kind of cottoned on to that kind of 
messiness or instability, which is why they never signed up. Even though they're quite keen to join an umbrella party, um, they never signed up to be, you know, on board with the Tamakis. They're actually trying to eye up um, uh, Matt King's party, is it? And also... Democracy NZ. Mm. Yeah, Democracy NZ. I know that in an interview with us, the new Conservatives were saying, hey, top, come and talk to us, please. Of course, you know, I don't think top would kind of entertain that at all. Um, but I think they're kind of looking to the more, dare I say it, legitimate parties to kind of pair up with. Mm. Yeah. Um, it, it, moving along, another, another pretty big... Um, uh, move this week for the first time in a long time, a uh, Labour Party MP was expelled from caucus. Uh, Dr. Sharma, um, his patience ran out after his uh, repeated outbursts on on Facebook and repeated interviews criticising um, the Prime Minister, calling her a liar, um, suggesting lots of his colleagues were bullies. Um, Tuesday morning, the axe fell. That's right. And I think what was interesting was just to, to finally hear from a lot of the caucus members of the Labour Party. Well, that's what I kind of found interesting. Um, you know, they were all just clearly like seething, had had enough. There was a there was a sort of um, a hot word going around, which was beha- the bad behaviour, like every single kind of Labour MP spoke about Godav Sharma's the bad behaviour, um, poor behaviour, attention-seeking behaviour, that sort of thing. So clearly the line had gone out on the email. Um, but, but yeah, it, it, was, um, it was probably a good little um, thing that he showed up, really, for a lot of the other caucus members that Godav Sharma decided to show up and front up to the caucus because they would have been able to tell him to his face exactly what they thought, and it wouldn't have been nice. Yeah, it was um, some fascinating footage too. Um, our cameraman, um, Sam Anderson, followed Dr. Sharma down uh, just before he went into caucus and he was sort of standing by him, all by himself for about a minute, um, but waiting to go into that caucus room, just the, the loneliest guy in parliament. Um, yeah, and, and then came out and, and gave another interview and you know, still maintaining you know, that he wants an independent inquiry into, into all the issues he's raised, um, you know, Obviously, Labor push, um, pointing out that they had offered um, mediation services um, between the two, and, and he'd refused to take that up. So, yeah, um, Dr. Sharma, um, yeah, out he, on his ear. He kind of gives. It's kind of starting to give me the Jamie Lee Ross kind of vibes. Like I'm getting flashbacks of Jamie Lee Ross, a, a bit of that kamikaze kind of behaviour, um, and just the calculated timing of the release of these allegations and you know the information that he releases. Like last week, you know, um, Labor's caucus was set for two thirty, and then he sends the media text messages at two thirty one. You know, a minute into it. The um, day before that, I think it was the Prime Minister's post cab was at four o'clock and he had released allegations just like 10, 15 minutes right before she was t- hitting the podium. So, uh, you know, if uh, it seems kind of calculated in terms of the timings um, of, of um, the release of the information, um, which I don't know, it's kind of... And even just the fact that he obviously records every single conversation, screenshots every kind of interaction, even ones from like, you know, over a year ago and that sort of thing. It's it's almost borderline psycho behaviour. Um, and, and, and I don't say that word lightly, but I'm going to say it here, you know, to, to 
to record and to kind of screenshot every single kind of interaction and then to slowly drip feed it out on calculated timings, I think is very interesting in terms of just an looking at that from a strategic point of view. And yeah. I also do wonder, like I've seen someone sort of comment online saying, you know, if he records all of these conversations, how come he hasn't released the recording where he's allegedly been yelled at for hours on end by the whips office? You know, if he if he was kind of recording conversations and, and things like that, which he's released a few of them, how come he doesn't have any recordings of being abused by the whips. Where is that recording? That's what I'd like to know. Yeah, quite sort of giving off narcissist kind of vibes to me. Um, yeah, but I, I do think he's probably got a limited um, shelf life in terms of media and public interests in him, I imagine, unless he kind of throws in the towel and sparks a by-election. Well, that's Not, what, like similar to Jamie Lee Ross, you know, it was all very interesting and kind of there was the kind of big circus around it at the, at the heat of it. And then quickly, you know, as a solo MP, people lost interest in him and didn't even bat an eyelid when he started walking across those black and white tiles and he was sitting up in the back of Siberia in the house. I feel like it's heading that way. For um, Godev Sharma, it'll be interesting to see if he sparks a by-election or not. Um, I mean, sparking a by-election could help keep his sort of name in the headlines um, if that's what he's after. In, in, until by-election day, yes. Um, <laughs> after which he'd be fishing. The, the other interesting ISIS, yes. thing, though, is of course that you know um, there was one abstention in the vote. Um, to, to kick him out, and I do think that's quite interesting. Obviously, Jacinda Ardern saying it's not an issue, it's not a concern for her, but it is interesting that he had at least one person sort of abstain, which is a sign of support, you could say. Yeah. So, so this this all played out um, Tuesday morning when when caucus met and and, and um, gave him the boot. Uh, Tuesday afternoon, another development: um, the speaker Trevor Mallard resigning from his role as speaker. That's right. And so Adrian Dudafe is being sworn in. And again, like I said, with that calculated timing, Godav Sharma, you know, everyone's sort of paying homage to the fact that Adrian Dudafe has achieved this massive feat, only the second Māori ever to hold the role of Speaker. And everyone's going around the room saying nice things, albeit not David Seymour about the former Speaker Trevor Mallard. But uh, in any case, um, you know, we had very kind of cordial um, speeches coming out and then Godav Sharma, the newest independent MP who we've never really heard from speak in the House um, during a prominent time, uh, pops up and um, decides to unleash even more allegations against Trevor Mallard, to which Adrian had to step in, shut him down, and shut him down quite impressively, actually. Um, and again, that's what I mean about the kind of calculated timing of his sort of uh, attacks. Yeah, what I found interesting about Adrian Rufe as well, when he's sort of giving his, his opening address, one of the things he said to um, uh, the government is he thinks there's, uh, you know, parliament question time. His, the way he's going to put his mark on it is he, he thinks there is place for more robust debate in there. You know, he, he, he's keen for things to get uh, you know, a little bit rowdier than perhaps Trevor Mallard um, would allow, you know, as long as people are, are respectful. But he also said that he's getting a bit sick and tired of the government and their patsy questions and then waffling on and on and on and giving little sermons, um, you know, to these pathetic 
patsy questions that they're asking each other. He wants short, sharp answers. And he said regularly in question time, the government's not even using all their supplementaries. He said, hey, if you want to play it this way, guys, then I'm going to give those supplementaries to the opposition. Um, so pretty quickly, you know, even though he's a pretty mellow kind of guy, pretty quickly laying down the law um, uh, with the government. And, and, you know, when he said that, the opposition was pretty delighted to hear that as well. You know, he wants a, you know, a faster paced, more action, you know, more robust debate. And I thought, you know, that was really cool. Obviously, there's been, you know, um, quite a lot of reflection on the um, controversial um, speaker, uh, Trevor Mallard, or former speaker. Um, well, of course, he's heading off to Ireland to be our ambassador. Um, there next year. So, yeah, quite a lot of looking back over his yeah, contentious um, career. We spoke to Lara, Lara Greaves, um, political commentator at um, Auckland University, and she's saying, hey, look, you know, I can't remember her exact words, but they're along the lines of he's, he's become quite a, you know, a distraction for the government and heading into election ne- year next year where things are looking pretty close. They needed to move him on um, and stop him being such a headache for the Prime Minister. Of course, um, uh, <laughs> the very next day, um, our new speaker, Adrian Rudolfe, was um, apologising to um, Winston Peters um, for Trevor Mallard having trespassed him. Um, uh, of course, Trevor um, Winston Peters had come down to that earlier protest and met with the protesters back in, back in February, early March. I think it was late February, um, you know, and spent an afternoon there sort of meeting and greeting them. He'd been trespassed for that. Uh, the new speaker saying that those actions of Trevor Mallard um, to trespass him were unreasonable and irrational, um, which sums Trevor Mallard up to some degree, I think. But, yeah, there'll be another, um, uh, obviously, another bill for taxpayers there. Um, and, yeah, and Trevor's staying on for the rest of the year, uh, almost the rest of the year. It'll be interesting to see if he can... Um, Keep his uh, keep out of causing any more scandals for the government over that time. Yeah, I think it was probably. Um, I, I I I would say that Trevor Mallard would have um, signed that statement off as well because for Trevor Mallard and Adrian Ludafi, they'd both want a clean slate heading into their new roles. So Trevor Mallard, obviously going over to be our diplomat in Ireland, our ambassador in Ireland, he won't want the Winston Peters thing hanging over him. Um, Winston Peters clearly just trying to make a point, and he's made it, especially with getting this apology now. He's able to say, "Ha ha, told you so," mm. um, and. And Adrian Ludafe also able to now kind of just put that saga behind him as he embarks on his new role. So uh, definitely a um, dead rat to swallow for all involved, um, but a necessary one. Yeah. Um, and I heard Mr. Peters um, yeah, putting the boot into uh, Mr. Mallard again this morning on on Radio New Zealand and suggesting it was a, an incredible insult to the um, good people of Ireland that we're sending Trevor Mallard there. Just on Trevor Mallard, actually, I just want to say that um, um, I've actually enjoyed working with him as the gallery uh, chair. Um, And I think that, like, while, you know, and we've covered this quite a bit in in a number of our podcasts, while he has been controversial and polarising, I do think he's done um, a lot of good stuff at Parliament, made it much more family-friendly. I know that my kids in particular love the park out the front, but also even just being a new, well, not a new mum, but like having, you know, newborn children, um, 
at Parliament and kind of having the parents' room available and things like that to, to use at Parliament. It's definitely noticeable from when I was breast pumping in the shower cubicles of the press gallery <laughs> once upon a time. And now there's a family room uh, at Parliament, which is very large and has toys and all of these things for kids and um, yeah. And, and all of that. And also, you know, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of the dogs at Parliament myself, um, but uh, and a lot of people obviously are because they bring their four-legged friends in quite often, um, well, which was another positive addition. Yeah. Uh, Kieran McNulty um, said the other day, you know, he loves bringing his greyhound into work um, yeah. all the time. Even David Seymour for our story, bringing down one of the ACT Party um, uh, Workers, um, great big dogs, uh, and Leo and down, it, down for it, yeah. that. So and yeah, he, he has changed it in, in in lots of ways for for, for the good, right? And, and also including he, the living wage for the for the staff there. It, absolutely, and, and we saw it again this week. You know, babies. Um, uh, um, just trying to think of her name. The Mohawk baby. The, the Mohawk baby. That, <laughs> um, yeah, the incredible Mohawk. Um, it was Steph Lewis out of Whanganui, I think it was her her. Um, New little fella um, was in the house as well. Yeah, so obviously there are those good good sides as well. Yeah. Um, any final things on the speaker? No, I think. Um, oh no, I think I think it's going to be interesting to see what Adrian does. I'm I'm really glad that he kind of wants to see more robust debate in the house because I think that's going to make it a lot more interesting. Usually, it's only like the first two questions that are kind of you know, hot to trot and sort of, you know, in terms of the Prime Minister and Lux and that kind of really gets some interesting, robust kind of debate and and then it all kind of starts to peter off a bit um, as, as as we go down the question line, so uh, numbers, so it'll be good to see more robust debate welcomed. Yeah. Now, um, interesting little story I um, covered yesterday. So... Uh, Chloe Swarbrick had actually alerted me to the, alerted me to the matter, and that was the um, he's the top public health official up in counties Monaco um, had written to all his local MPs. Now his name's um, he's director of population health up there is Dr Gary Jackson. Um, he'd written to all his local MPs and had said, "Hey, look, a bill's coming up before Parliament, Parliament and that was Chloe Swarbrick's um, uh, alcohol harm minimisation bill, which would basically stop." Alcohol advertising of sports that are broadcast, right? So you know when you when you've got your tennis opens up in Auckland, you've got Heineken labels everywhere. You, you, you get rugby games and stuff with beer sponsors everywhere. It would basically stop alcohol sponsorship of of sports that are being broadcast. And the the logic is that it would um, stop normalising and glamorising alcohol. So. Gary Jackson wrote to every MP around South Auckland and said, hey, you know, we need to do this. <clears throat> We've got huge alcohol problems in South Auckland. The last thing we need is, you know, for, for these kids growing up to see their sporting heroes, you know, covered in alcohol advertising all the time. Terrible. We, please support Chloe's bill. About a week later, he wrote back to every single MP in South Auckland and said, I would like to retract the letter I sent you. Um, and so, anyway, I got in touch with uh, Dr. Jackson. He 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 didn't come back to me. He wouldn't comment. Um, but Dr. Shane Ritty, he was the one um, who, who had started asking uh, questions of the government about why this letter was retracted. Um, so, anyway, I um, uh, stopped Andrew Little on the um, black and white tiles yesterday and asked him about 
hey, did he know anything about this letter? And he kind of launched into this furious attack on um, uh, Gary, Dr. Gary Jackson, saying what he did was outrageously unacceptable for a public servant, for he, that he was lobbying MPs on a political matter and he was using the letterhead of the new Health New Zealand um, uh, you know, National Health Agency that we have now. He was using that letterhead. He was writing to lobby them on a political matter, totally unacceptable, a gracious breach of um, of standards for a public servant, totally unacceptable. And I, and I said, but hang on a minute, he's he's trying to advocate for the health of his local, um, you know, people in, in in South Auckland. Andrew Little said he's welcome to write letters to people, but he cannot use his uh, title in that manner and you know the local letterhead. <clears throat> anyway, I um, spoke to Chloe Swarbrick about that. She thought that that was really disappointing um, that Andrew Little was taking that stand. She said there was. Um, uh, there was nothing, you know, rah rah in the Green Party about her bill. It's about trying to bring in health measures that will help the um, help help the population. And Dr. Retti, he he was saying, look, he, he thinks it's disgusting that Andrew Little took this stand, and he is really worried that with all the DHBs going and bringing into the national um, new sort of centralised health New Zealand, that basically you're going to lose that local voice that people like. Um, Gary Jackson aren't going to speak up anymore, and that uh, you know, and, and advocate on local health issues. He's really worried that we're going to lose this local voice when it comes to health matters with this new centralisation. Um, but yeah, I, I think you know, while that is a you know a, a very real possibility here, I also think Andrew Little's got a bit of a point that you know this this um, public health top public health official in South Auckland was doing that a, a pretty political move. Yeah, I, I agree. I think like you can't you can't have um, people using the official letterhead of an organisation uh, stating a position unless that is the position of that organisation. Otherwise, just send your own letter with your own sort of house address at the top of it. You don't need the letterhead. The letterhead brings mana, and unless you've got the sign off from that authority, that mana to use that, then then you can't. Like it's pretty basic. Mm. You know what I mean. I think Dr. Ritty, though, would say, hey, the former DHBs, all of them all across the country, were probably more in tune with their own local issues and, and, and more likely to speak out on a local issue than now that it's all nationalised. He's really worried, uh, Dr. Ritty's really worried everything's just going to get controlled out of Wellington. So that's something we'll keep an eye on. Yeah. Um, and the other question that I had, and this is, this is not as serious, but... If, if not the alcohol company sponsoring these big sporting events, then who? Well, that's exactly the point. Because that who Robertson has the makes, money? Right? Who has the money? Is it is it is it farmers? Is it sleepyhead? Is it features? You know, I, I just don't know that anyone else has the kind of cash to back events on that kind of a scale well, in New Zealand. Yeah, that's what the sports minister Grant Robertson was asked about recently: whether he would support Chloe's bill, and he said he had big re- reservations about it, and and. And while he appreciates the concerns and the damage that alcohol causes in society, he's like, well, it also brings in a lot of money for sport, right? Um, and it wouldn't be easy to replace that quickly. So that that was his argument. Um, and, I mean, Chloe Swarbrick to that would say, you know, the alcohol lobby is just so powerful in New Zealand that, you know, politicians just won't take action. So an interesting interesting issue. It's going to be really interesting to see which way parties vote. And even though Dr Shane Retty here is sort of working on the story on Chloe's bill, there's no indication yet. I don't think it's even gone to Nationals Caucus as to 
how they'll be handling Chloe's bill, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them oppose it in the long mm. run anyway, but they, they haven't um, actually even discussed that yet. So it's um, yeah interesting one to keep across. Anyway, that was One News Inside Parliament, our regular catch-up about the political stories we've been covering. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's available most weeks on One News Online, and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app. <laughs>